bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, X, formerly Twitter, has made cuts to its elections and disinformation team just as we're ramping up for 2024. Meta's former chief security officer Alex Stamos is delivering us a stark warning. We are in much worse shape for 2024 than we were even in 2016 because the protections that companies have put in place have started falling back from a peak in 2020 and 2022. A hard look at social media's role in our elections and around the world. We're stuck in this 2016 mindset of the idea that foreign interference is only by Russia and it only benefits Trumps and it hurts Democrats. That was actually never that true. And the other online threat we're talking about today, cyber criminals, how scattered spider made a big old mess for Clorox. Sometimes people pay the demands for the ransom, sometimes they don't. They say you shouldn't pay it, but then if you don't, you wind up in a situation like this where you're looking at sales down by 25%. Unpacking a $2 billion money laundering scheme in Singapore with Robert Frank. 152 properties, 62 cars, Lots of gold bars and jewelry. Plus a gavel up for grabs in the house. And we're starting the countdown to Christmas too soon with CNBC's Courtney Reagan. I actually already started shopping. I did too. It's Thursday, October 5th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. I'm the House Speaker's gavel up for grabs for the second time this year. Congressman Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise considered frontrunners. They've been making their pitch to colleagues. Republicans plan to hold a, a Speaker candidate forum. That's going to happen next Tuesday, followed by a possible vote the next day. Now, at least two House members floated uh, former President Trump as a potential Speaker position uh, that does not need to be held by a House member, actually. Trump who's currently the defendant in a civil business fraud trial in Manhattan, was asked yesterday uh, while attending that trial if he would agree to be House Speaker. He said he would do whatever is best for the country and the Republican Party, that he's focused on winning the presidency, but uh, said many times that lots of people had called him uh, because uh, he, they he want He tweeted out a picture of himself. I, I know. Later in the, in the day, his Truth Social account posted a photoshopped image of Trump holding the speaker's gavel. Watching a competing network yesterday that might be somewhat friendly towards the former president from time to time. So there were two people, male anchor, female. One, the female anchor said, when they did the story about Trump being speaker, she goes, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Meaning what, being hold speaker on. What, of the and, house and, or meaning and, being? No, <laughs> exactly, because the other anchor, the male anchor went, what, what? And she, she said, and she goes, oh, oh no, I meant, it's such a bad job. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I wasn't saying that. And the guy goes, okay, just want to make sure. It was still very, on point. It was very telling. It was very telling. It was cute. You would take it the other way. I mean, many people, I took it the other way. It was like, oh my God. I did at this point. Wouldn't wish Trump being What do you make of the gag order that's on him the, and the, then these rants ignoring. that he goes on? And when is he going to be just either... Honestly, would you, in prison do you think that's a good idea? Judge. Do you think that's a good idea? That once again, that just. But once again, we don't law, law and order doesn't matter. Once again, once, no, it, once, once again, again, that makes him more probably adds to oh his to the to the to the martyr the martyrdom in America persecuted. Sure, but I mean, at some point, you can't run around. You can't actually run around as a party on either side 
and say you care about law and order at all and allow these things just absolute craziness to continue. It's, it's, it's obscene. It, it's obscene. It's disgraceful. You're allowed to put a gay. It, it, it is. You are allowed. It, there is not. You do, there's not freedom of speech. So that, that when you're in the <clears> middle of a case. In a vacuum, that's true. It, but then, the, the attorney general did. The last attorney general didn't even bring the case. And then this attorney general really did say, "Elect me because I guarantee you, I will. My entire job will be about Trump." And then it happened. So, it, and I don't, it, it seems like it's. It does seem like if it wasn't Trump. And maybe if he wasn't running again, I don't even know the judge if they would have brought the case. You know, the, 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 Trump well, the was judge saying that 80 percent were going to be of the charges were past the right. limit. Of, but that's they're what not. his lawyer said. They're yeah. not. The, the judge said yesterday that's not the case. Every time you renew the judge fraud, it funny. kicks them all back in. He said he's going to appeal on this, but that is not yeah. the case. And I, I am not throwing out 80 percent. And there's a reason. For he, calls, he says, I don't know anything about the judge. But the judge is kind of smirking and laughing and shrugging. So have you seen him? It's pretty funny. Trump looks like his head's going to explode. But There's a very funny, I don't know if it's on TikTok or Instagram, where someone's done a Curb Your Enthusiasm version of this whole thing. Yeah. And another one's done a Seinfeld version of this thing where they introduce each person and they have like the little chirons under them uh, as if you're introducing Steinfeld. It's very, anyway. The start of the show. The start yeah. of the show. Yeah. And Clorox disclosed in August that it was the victim of a cyber attack that disrupted its operational systems, forcing employees to carry out digital and automated processes by hand. Now the company is warning that the disruption will have a major impact on its sales and profit in the quarter that ended last week. It expects net sales to drop 23 to 28 percent, and it is projecting an adjusted loss of up to 40 cents a share. Clorox said that the cyber threat is now contained, but that the damage continues to hurt production. Bloomberg reported yesterday that a hacker group called Scattered Spider is suspected to be tied to that attacks on Clorox. Remember, that's the group that was also connected to recent cyber attacks on casino companies, MGM and Caesars. And guys, what they do in these situations, this group, this hackers group, is supposedly very good at calling into help desk operations, pretending to be an employee and getting them to give them enough information for them to hack into these systems. Also just tells you, you know, sometimes people pay the demands for the ransom, sometimes they don't. Um, they say you shouldn't pay it, but then if you don't, you wind up in a situation where, like this where you're, you're looking at sales down by 25% roughly. And they ask you for the money in Bitcoin half the time, which says a lot about a lot. Oh. It does, it does. You still can trace it. It's not untraceable. It's just easier to do it that way. It'd be really nice if they could trace everything back to them. Ultimately, you should be able on the ledger to figure out who it is. You can still figure that out. It's not totally, it's not anonymous. Um, we got a lot more coming that's up on. The, the, the big uh, ransom hack is, told you I didn't really like the morning show, the latest version, but that's the whole... That's I haven't away. watched it. Don't, don't give tell it away. us. Don't. Well, I can tell you that the plot involves no, no, a I don't ransom. Want to know the, I don't want to know the plot. It's better to watch it Trying to see. Can you talk them down? Can you, if, if they're asking for 50, can you say I'm only giving, them, giving you 25? Is that possible? I mean, the ransomware people, can you negotiate? You know, if you hire Ari Emanuel, maybe, <laughs> maybe you can. I don't know. <laughs> Well, the countdown to Christmas is on with just about 80 shopping days left. Oh boy, we're actually counting days now, but will the retailers be able to count on toy demand to get more shoppers into stores or online this holiday season? Courtney Reagan joins us right now with a look at this year's toy trends. And Court, 
Can't believe it's already the countdown. Here I know. Go. I've actually already started jumping. I think I've I did too. Than ever. Me too, because yeah. I, I don't want to be stuck at the last minute. I don't either. I hate that feeling. And the holidays really are just around the corner. If you haven't started shopping yet, you might want to think about it, because this also comes at a time when consumers are really fighting through compounding economic pressures. It seems like there's another one every day. And while total toy sales are expected to fall year over year, there's something consumers find a way to buy, it's toys for Christmas. Good news for parents, or Santa, I should say. Toy inventory is solid, so shortages aren't expected, and toy prices are down about 2.9% over last year. Many of the hottest toys this holiday season, ring of nostalgia. So coming off the heels of the successful movie, Mattel's Barbie Dreamhouse is on many hot toy lists this year. It runs about 200 bucks, though. There's also Hasbro's Furby, remember that? Nintendo's Super Mario Brothers Wonder Game, that's out soon. The Pokemon Trading Card Game and Tamagotchi Uni Virtual Pet Watch, that Reminds me of my childhood. Today's updated versions will pop up on many lists this year. Then there's also newer toys like Gabby's Dollhouse Cruise Ship Playset and LOL Surprise Magic Flyers. Those will be hot toys too. Over the last several decades, Amazon, Walmart, Target, they've increased their share of toy sales and they sell a lot of exclusives, toys you can only buy there. Macy's too has had success with its Toys R Us shop in shops, but it gets further fragmented from there, especially during the holidays when toys are in places they aren't normally, like grocery stores, Aldi, Kroger, you name it. Everybody is trying to get a piece of the toy action and bring consumers in that way. Yeah, when Toys R Us went under yeah. and then when FAO Schwartz shuts to, shut its doors, I mean, they've come back and iterations exactly the licensing used to be. yeah um it made it a lot harder like it used to that used to be something we would do with kids is go to toys r us yeah. walk the aisles tell me what you want and now it's much more fragmented it, it's true it's true and over time amazon target walmart started to grow their share even when those stores were still around certainly and then when they left at least in those in those versions I think those big box players picked up even more, but it is a pretty fragmented industry. There's still a lot of mom and pop toy shops. We just had a toy show here uh, in New York City here at the Javits Center, and it's a lot of independent buyers that are coming to look at toys to buy for the next season. So it, it is fairly fragmented. Which makes it tougher to figure out what the hot toys are. It does. Because there's not one place that's pushing all these and, things. And with all the exclusives that retailers have, which makes sense, if, if they have the LOL dolls in a certain color and your child really right. wants it, you have to go to that retail but it does make it a little hard to compare. So we looked at a lot of toy lists and sort of ran through, okay, which ones are popping up on a lot of them? And then the Super Mario Brothers game is out soon, getting a lot of reviews, and that's also popping up on a lot of uh, wish lists so far. Court, thanks. Thank you. Cheese will be next. When you come back, when we come back, I guess I should say, well, you're the ones who ho Hopefully they they're, come they're back, too. back, too. Yeah. I have to go to something. Are you taking off right now? Will yeah. you come back? I don't I, know I'll come back. Okay. Please stay with us. Facebook's former chief security officer, Alex Stamos, is taking a hard look at social media and elections in 2024, like in Meta's own internal research. The largest fake account network they'd ever found, and it was from China. And the idea that the Chinese Communist Party is going to be pro-Republican is just foolish. How prepared are we, and Meta and X and everybody online, for foreign interference this election? You'll find out right after this break. We're back. This is Squawk Pod. Stand under by in three, two, one. Hugh Ander. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. The Anti-Defamation League said it's preparing to resume advertising on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter. The ADL had criticized Elon Musk for failing to stem the rise uh, in hate speech on the platform. But in a statement, 
The organization said it appreciates X's stated intent over the last few weeks <clears throat> to address anti-Semitism uh, and hate on the platform. Also says it's hopeful uh, to continue to engage with X, but at the same time, the ADL, ADL took issue with Musk's claim uh, that he had tried to, uh, to damage the company by calling for an advertising boycott. Musk threatened to sue the ADL last month over more than $4 billion in lost business. Wait, the ADL is going to start advertising yeah. again or it's going to tell other people to advertise? Because that was the issue, right. that they I, were telling others I not really to. I know what I just read. It said the ADL. I don't know. I listened to a fascinating uh, Twitter spaces or X spaces with Elon and a number of rabbis and other officials and leaders in Israel and other things recently. It was fascinating. It, um, Alan Dershowitz was on it talking just about uh, Israel and anti-Semitism. And, and it was very interesting to hear Elon wanting, I think, genuinely to listen. I mean, it was really sort of an effort for him to right. say, look, I'm, I'm listening and I'm trying to figure out how we're going to do this and do it better. And I think he was trying, he really was meaningfully trying to figure it out, if you will. I, I'm sure there's probably other people who listen to the same thing who might think differently, but that it, it appeared that way, at least. In the meantime, X has slashed its disinformation and election integrity team ahead of the 2024 election. Ex-executive chair Elon Musk confirmed that news in a social media post and took a swipe at the unit for what he said was undermining election integrity. For a look at the potential implications for next year's presidential election and beyond, we want to bring in Alex Stamos. He is Krebs Stamos Group partner and director of Stanford Internet Observatory. He formerly served as Facebook's chief security officer and Yahoo chief information security officer as well. And Alex, let's just talk about this, getting rid of that group um, and saying they were doing it, I, I believe, because he thought it was a one-sided situation where you would be only policing one side. What do you think happened here? I, I think it's a really bad idea. I think, unfortunately, overall, we are in much worse shape for 2024 than we were even in 2016 uh, because the protections that companies have put in place have started falling back from a peak in 2020 and 2022. But the problem is, is a lot more countries and a lot more groups have gotten into the kinds of trolling and ma manipulation operations that we saw out of Russia in 2016. So what, what do you think is happening? I guess you're looking at Russia, you're looking at China, who else? Yeah, so China's the big one now. And I, I think this is one of the, the problems with the discourse on this is it become totally partisan of we're stuck in this 2016 mindset of the idea that foreign interference is only by Russia and it only benefits Trumps and it hurts Democrats. That was actually never that true, right? It was always a much more complicated situation what happened in 2016. But that is both what kind of the Democrats glommed onto, the media glommed onto, and then Trump responded to the idea that he benefited and therefore had to attack the idea that any election integrity work is therefore against him. That has gone really untrue over the last couple of years because what happened is all these other countries watched what Russia did in 2016 and they said, man, I want that. And the biggest group there is the People's Republic of China. A couple things drove this. First, the Chinese really had trouble in Hong Kong and losing the information war globally against these Hong Kong teenagers who could speak English, were kind of internet natives, did their TikToks and their real-time videos to show what was going on, um, while the Chinese bureaucracy was very slow to react. And then the second is COVID. The fact that China was blamed for COVID, I think accurately, um, and also had these massive lockdowns that made people question the control and the, the decisions of the Chinese Communist Party meant that they needed to defend themselves and try to shift blame. And because of those two things, the Chinese have massively invested. And we, we actually have hard evidence of this. In August of this year, Facebook, which still has a team that does this, 
released their adversarial threat report and buried in there, and almost nobody talked about it, was the largest fake account network they'd ever found. And it was from China. And the idea that the Chinese Communist Party is gonna be pro-Republican is just foolish. And so the, the idea that this should be a partisan thing where uh, we disarm because it's seen as, as, as doing that work favors one side, I think is just wrong. So if Facebook has uncovered this massive network, what, what do you think is happening at, at Twitter? I mean, they have gotten it to where you have to pay if you want a blue check mark, right. has that helped or hurt? That has hurt a lot. Why? Now, the pain is fine, right? The problem is, is they not only started charging for the blue check mark, but they got rid of any kind of verification. So back in the day when you had a free blue check mark, um, they would take your ID, they would verify who you are, make sure your name matches approximately what you call yourself on Twitter. None of that happens. All they're verifying now is you have a credit card. And in fact, a vanilla gift card that you can buy anywhere or you can buy with Bitcoin is good enough to buy a Twitter blue check mark. And so I think it's made things much worse because those accounts now look real. People still have this well, handover and, and effect. And they get, they get amplified too. And they get amplified, so. right. And so if, if I'm the Chinese, if I'm the Ministry of State Security, if I'm the Chinese Communist Party's propaganda arm, $8 a month is cheap, right? Running 10,000 accounts would only cost 80 grand. That's nothing compared to any kind of other propaganda or, or government defense program. Incredibly cheap. I think it, it's a, it was a huge mistake um, to get rid of the actual verification component. And I expect a lot of these blue check marks uh, that have sprung up in the last year and have really extreme positions are being run by foreign adversaries. The problem is, is it's impossible to figure that out now because at the same time, X has cut off any access for outside researchers like my team at Stanford to try to figure out what's going on. And so he's cut off the good guys. He's empowered the bad guys by giving them the ability just to buy Lyft. And he's created the situation where people believe a blue check mark means something and it doesn't. If China is not necessarily for Republicans on this because anti-China sentiment is the one bipartisan issue in Washington at this point, how will this play out in the elections? So it's, it's hard to tell because one of the things that's happened is we've had this great scattering of political content online. The first part of that happened after January 6th when Twitter and Facebook in particular deplatformed President Trump. And so a bunch of conservatives moved on to Gab, Parler, eventually Truth Social, and now platforms like Telegram. Um, then because of Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter, liberals have done the same uh, and have moved on to Blue Sky and Post and Mastodon. Now these are the platforms. So is, nothing, is it nothing left but the, you know, the, the bots and the government programs? On it's, it's hard to know who are the real folks left on Twitter. I, I think it still has an outsized. There's enough journalists. There's enough politicians. If you look at the way politicians interact, um, especially Republicans now, it does, they do look like they, they seem to think that Twitter does represent some kind of real groundswell of support. And, and that is concerning to me. If, if you see there's like a huge groundswell against Ukraine on Twitter. Um, and if you consider the fact that Putin's only path to victory in Ukraine is somehow getting the United States to stop supporting them, um, that would be an extremely cheap operation to try to manipulate politicians and make them think that there's lots of Americans believing in this. Now, again, we don't have the hard data because Musk no longer participates. But what we do know is that after that August report of that Chinese network, Twitter did nothing. What you used to see is Twitter and Facebook working side by side and announcing simultaneously, we worked together, we did this. But the team that used to catch those reports from Facebook and work side by side with them, that team's gone. Um, and so we, we do know pretty, for pretty certain that because we see these, these things happening on other platforms, they must still be happening on Twitter. Have you reached out to Elon Musk or Linda Yaccarino? Uh, so the last time I interacted with 
Elon Musk. Uh, he called me a propagandist, uh, and then I got death threats. Uh, so uh, probably not a great idea for me. But what about, I, I, what about yeah. Linda Yaccarino? Uh, you know, we've we've tried to contact people at Twitter. There's a couple of people left. Um, we've been doing work on child safety, and there are a handful of people left doing child safety. So there has been some response there. Twitter's gone way worse at that. Uh, that team has shrunk as well. Uh, well but, why, do you, why do you say that? And I, I only ask because Elon Musk has been quite quite vocal about that particular issue as something that he cares deeply about. Yeah. Why do I say it? Because oh, we have the hard empirical evidence. We have been uh, did a big report on child safety. Right, no, I remember when I remember when you did that. Do you believe that that they have not tried to address that since? They, they have, but we just did an update, and it turns out a, a bunch of the stuff we reported them is still up. And some of the pedophiles that are selling stuff, all they had to do is add things like a single emoji to the end of an obvious pedophilia-related hashtag, and it still works. So it's kind of doing the minimum. I feel bad. I mean, when you talk to the child safety people there, they seem very tired, right? They're, they're working hard, but they are massively under-resourced. Alex, thank you. Thank you. Next on Squawk Pod, an international money laundering scandal involving the world's wealthiest families. Our Robert Frank follows the money. It was all, most of it, Chinese wealth that was creating family offices in Singapore and moving their money there. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. A rapidly growing uh, money laundering scandal in Singapore, uh, now turning to China and privately held family offices. Robert Frank joins us now with more. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Joe. Good to see you. Well, Singapore authorities freezing assets worth more than $2 billion in a money laundering probe that is quickly expanding. So far, they've seized 152 properties, 62 cars, lots of gold bars and jewelry. Ten people have been charged with laundering proceeds from illegal gambling and other operations. The suspects are all from China or have links to China. This scandal has exposed a dark side to the massive wave of wealth flowing out of China into Singapore. More than $1.5 trillion has poured into Singapore last year. The Chinese wealthy and private companies all moving money out of the reach of the government crackdowns and potential tensions over Taiwan. Singapore, of course, depends on its reputation for a clean and well-policed financial system. Authorities there are now working with the big banks to try to figure out where the gaps might have been. Officials also looking at the potential role of family offices. Those are the private arms of wealthy families. The number of family offices registered in Singapore has more than tripled during the pandemic to over 1,000. Family offices have minimum disclosure requirements. And until recently, they paid no taxes on investment gains in Singapore. So Singapore became a global hub for these family offices. Ray Dalio, uh, Sergey Brin of Google uh, all have family offices in Singapore question now is do they start to crack down were they involved in this money laundering at all but a huge number of family offices why would family started. offices be formed in singapore to begin with because i think of like shady bitcoin operations that are in places like singapore or beyond why in the world would you put your family office there singapore wanted capital so they created a regulatory environment for family offices that was basically no taxes on capital gains if you had a family office which is all their gains and they made it very easy to register. So there were minimal disclosure requirements in terms of who you were, where your money came from. And they also wanted, Singapore wanted professionals managing that wealth. They thought it would be good for job creation and also that inflow of capital, which then could flow out and into So Singapore. they're the new Switzerland? Exactly, Switzerland. Now Hong Kong battling for that as well. Dubai is a big family office capital, but family offices have trillions of dollars to invest. So all these big cities around the country, around the world 
were vying for that money. Now the question is, do you need more regulatory disclosure around that? Well, what happens to U.S. tax authorities who want to say, hey, your family office may be there, but you're not? Yeah, look, if you're a global, if you're a U.S. citizen, your global uh, income is still taxed. So it's really beneficial for, it was all, most of it, Chinese wealth that was creating family offices in Singapore and moving their money there. Chinese authorities cracking down on that big time. We saw the disappearance of a banker in China who right. was setting up a wealth management firm The in family Singapore. offices, for example, in Dubai, though. Yeah. Are from are you European A families? lot of Russians. A lot of a Russian lot of families. Russians have set up family offices in Dubai. Um, and Europeans, but a lot of the money going to Dubai and Singapore have become the wealth capitals of the world when it comes to family offices and just wealth flight and capital flight. And Switzerland is, is an also ran? What are you saying? Switzerland, now that the U.S. has better disclosure around those accounts, and, and so <laughs> does what, Europe. What does that tell you? If you're going somewhere else because Switzerland that tells is too you that tightly regulated, you don't want them knowing how much you're making. The hope, the that tells you that wealthy people love to hide money, and they just go to whatever country is going to be the most friendly. Now, Singapore, is I live in Singapore. They know everything. I mean, they surveil you. They know whose accounts are going so it was surprising to me that this money laundering team got as large as it did, went on for as long as it did, and then they just caught them. Some people said China urged them to crack down on it because China wants to keep capital. Interesting okay. story. Robert, thank you. Thank you, guys. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And please follow this podcast. Squawk Pod is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever you like to listen. Tell a friend to listen to. Help us out by spreading the word. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much.